Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, can you imagine what hundreds of parents in Calgary are going through right now? Their kids are terribly sick with a rare form of E. coli because the daycares that they trusted serve their kids food from a cockroach infested kitchen. In this episode, we talk to ER doc and mom, Shazma Mathani, about the breach of trust. And then we talk housing crisis with Mo Amir. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. And a good day to you on this September 14th. It's Jesperson and Hicks, another episode of Real Talk. This one's for the parents. This one's for the caregivers and the teachers. Nah, you know what? This one is for anybody who ever eats outside of their own home, trusting in a kitchen. Yeah, yeah, that's who this show is for, as we take a look at an appalling story, a stomach-turning story, quite frankly, a heartbreaking story, when you learn what more than 300 kids are, are going through down in the southern Alberta city of Calgary. In fact, more than 20 of them hospitalized in serious condition due to an E. coli outbreak. This is kids that were attending 11 different daycares that were using one common kitchen. The facts are absolutely disgusting. Health officials have stepped in and shut that kitchen down. They say that, I'm I'm sorry if you're listening to this or watching this while you're eating breakfast or anything like that, but they found traps full of cockroaches, live adult cockroaches on the sides of refrigerators, utensils just out, food not properly stored, transported in uh, inappropriate conditions. I mean, this is really gnarly stuff, but the consequences are severe and parents are pissed. And who wouldn't be? We're going to get into this with ER doc Shazma Mathani in just a second. And then we'll talk politics with one of the most entertaining broadcasters, I think, in the country. Mo Amir is the host of This is Van Color on Check. And he's going to hang out with us. We'll talk about federal political polling. We'll talk about the outcry over conservative leader Pierre Poliev. Man, is he getting a lot of mileage over that airplane address. If his critics would just shut up about it, nobody would have paid attention, right? It would have stayed within conservative circles. But now that everybody, including QP, the big federal union, is uh, crying to WestJet, all of a sudden it's turning into a big thing. So we're hitching our wagon to that story. And before the show is out, we're going to figure out why one zoo in Canada is limiting a particular gorilla's screen time. Yeah, you heard me right. Johnny, they're limiting, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a teenaged gorilla, isn't yeah. it? A well, teenaged it's, gorilla. It's a growing, it's a maturing gorilla, and we saw this story yesterday because we've been talking about it. Well, we talked about it a few months ago, just everyone on their phones every day and, and how this can lead to mental health issues and whatnot. And what better than in a confined space in a zoo to run a test? And they didn't even have to. This gorilla, well, we'll get to the story later, but basically started looking at people's phones through the glass. Yeah, like people are the problem. Got addicted to it, so much so that they had to give the gorilla an hour of TV a day and told people not to put their phones against the glass anymore. He had to be weaned off of basically social media and Netflix and all the other stuff. Because he was showing antisocial behavior. And now I guess he watches like The Nature of Things with David Suzuki or whatever (laughs) for one hour a day. But he stopped mating, he stopped eating. You'll see the story later. Yeah, it kind of sounds like humans as well. 
You know, once you really get in, start binge watching something on Netflix, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of mating going on as well. Yeah. Though there was the whole Netflix <laughs> and chill thing that was happening, yes. working out for people for a while. Uh, Shazma, with that, you know what? We'll ask the good doctor about screen time. Like she's she's not a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but 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 she is a doc and and, and mm-hmm. she's a parent as well. So I know that that's something that I'm sure that that she'll have an opinion on. Uh, so that's coming up on the show. Plus, we're getting a whole bunch of letters from people on housing, and I really appreciate this mm-hmm. because we've got. Uh, 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 our, our Real Talk Roundtable coming up on uh, tomorrow's show. That's every Friday here on the show. Our Real Talk Roundtable is going to be featuring three uh, pretty prominent voices across mm-hmm. the country. I, I will say this, and we don't say it all the time because it doesn't always work out. But when we put out our first cast, like when we're looking to put a roundtable together and we say, here's our A list, or here's the top three people that we want to comment on this issue, we were three for three on our asks this week. And so before this episode is out, we'll, we'll get into some of what you're talking to us about on housing. Uh, you know, I know, I know that we're talking a lot about polling lately, but it's just, you know, tis the season. What do you want us to do? And a lot of you, uh, at least those of you that are participating in polls, uh, whether they're formal or informal, are saying that housing is the number one most important thing to you right now, the most important issue facing Canadians. And that's why we're committing our Real Talk Roundtable to that starting tomorrow. Before we get into it, this episode of Real Talk is presented by Business Career College. And this is a shout out to anybody that's looking for a rewarding or high paying career without a university degree. Is that you? Well, if it is, get started as an insurance professional today with Business Career College. In Canada, insurance agents are starting at more than 55,000 a year. They're earning up to 90 or more. And all you need to do is take an approved course and pass your licensing exam. Business Career College offers industry-leading approved courses in life insurance and property and casualty insurance, and their expert instructors are passionate about helping you launch your new career. Right now, this is a great deal. You can save 15%, keep some money in your pocket, 15% on any Business Career College insurance course with the code REALTALK. That's one word, REALTALK. Get started today at businesscareercollege.com. Yeah, this is one of those stomach-churning stories. As mentioned, Alberta Health Services, uh, as of 24 hours ago, saying the number of confirmed cases of E. coli connected to 11 Calgary daycares and a common kitchen is 310. 21 of those cases, all of them children, are receiving care. Dr. Shazmathani is uh, uh, not only a university lecturer, but also an ER physician uh, in the inner city of Edmonton at the Royal Alexandra Hospital and has always been a good friend of this show, I should reference. Uh, per your background, you've also been recognized as an Edify Top 40 Under 40. It's nice to see you again. It's been a while. How was your summer? It was great. It's good to see you again, too. It was busy. It was quick, but uh, it was definitely a lot of fun. This, this has been my canned answer for anybody that says, how was your summer? I say, all the cliches apply. I, I say, it went by too quick, and here we are in fall. But uh, for a lot of people, including you, including me, uh, fall means that the kids are back to school or the kids are back in daycare. People are getting back in their regular routines. And for, for obviously millions of people across the country, that means that the kids are back in daycare. Uh, how did this story out of Calgary first land with you? What was your very first response? To be honest, it was fear for my own, like my own youngest child who's in daycare. I mean, I'm in Edmonton, not Calgary, but certainly this is something uh, that's a story that could have happened every, anywhere. So uh, it was a, a concern. And then as the numbers and as the um, 
as more information has come out, it's been really quite surprising and, and concerning. It's uh, there's like a part of, I guess, what I'm going to say about this it may come across as obvious, but there's a huge amount of trust. Um, and, and, and a story like this, I guess, reiterates to us or reminds us how much trust we have in so many different institutions and so many different people. In every single restaurant you go to, you trust they're doing the right thing. Every hotel you stay in, you trust they're doing the right thing. You would think that daycares would be held to an even higher standard, but it turns out that this is a repeat offender that we're talking about. I mean, this is a breach of trust, plain and simple. That's how I see it. I don't know about you. Yeah, absolutely. Just like you said, Ryan, I mean, every time we go to any public institution, there are um, kind of guidelines and laws and uh, kind of parameters that are that are supposed to be followed. And and we as as citizens, we place trust in all of these um, places that we kind of patron. And and yeah, this is definitely a, bre- a breach of trust. And um, I'm sure it's going to be really challenging for the parents involved to to be able to overcome that going forward. Doctor, what can you tell us? I mean, I'm sure that most of us have have seen at least one of the parents quoted in the news. Um, I saw one in particular, a mom. It's just just this heart-wrenching scenario, and she's she's interviewed in the parking lot outside the hospital, and moms and dads just know. She was one of them, and, and she said, I just knew something was wrong. She was talking about her little girl, uh, she said she had diarrhea, but it wasn't like normal diarrhea. Something in, in mom's spidey senses went off, and she knew that they had to get to the hospital. And sure enough, her daughter is one of those 20 patients that are receiving care in hospital right now. Seven of them on dialysis, by the way. So what are symptoms that parents need to look out for, or, or just people in general? I mean, this could happen anywhere. What does E. coli look like or or feel like? How do you know you might have it? Yeah, can I talk a little bit about the specific strain of, e- strain of E. coli first? Yeah. yeah. So th- this is a very specific strain of E. coli called uh, Shiga toxin producing E. coli. And the unique thing about this type of E. coli is that it produces this specific toxin, and that's what causes severe disease. Um, so this type of E. coli can be found uh, typically spread by foodborne illness. So um, kind of undercooked beef, uh, produce, unpasteurized milks and juices. Um, and so what can happen is when this uh, bacteria infects your uh, gastrointestinal tract, this toxin gets produced and the toxin is the issue. It basically um, can produce this uh, severe syndrome called hemolytic uremic syndrome, which causes multiple little blood clots in the small blood vessels in your body. And that includes the kidneys. And that's why we're hearing about uh, these um, young children that are on dialysis because their kidneys are affected from this toxin that this specific type of uh, E. coli produces. And so in most people, the symptoms that you can expect are similar to any sort of like stomach flu, we call it, right? And so the diarrhea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and sometimes a fever. If it's going to be a more severe case, and in particular with this type of E. coli, one of the red flags um, that we kind of ask parents to look for is if there is bloody diarrhea. So anytime there's bloody diarrhea, that's an important reason to go see a doctor. If there's severe abdominal pain, if there are concerns about dehydration, and if there's a persistent high fever, or of course, if your child is unwell, you know, Ryan, you talked about how that mom just kind of knew that something was wrong. Yeah. Um, if there's something that doesn't feel right, those are all reasons to go in. But like a lot of the symptoms are very similar to other gastrointestinal illnesses, but can be more severe. 
And then that hemolytic uremic syndrome is another complication of this type of E. coli that is even kind of a, a much more severe complication that can land people in hospital. Okay, so what are the, what, can you give us an idea of what these kids are going through? Like the, the 20 in hospital, generally speaking, obviously you've not been providing care for them personally, but, but what does this look like for, for kids that could be two, three, four years old? Yeah, so what I would expect for the kids that are hospitalized, I would expect that there may be signs of um, dehydration if there's severe vomiting or diarrhea. Um, there could be, if one of these patients were to come into hospital and I were to see them, for example, I would be doing blood work on them to look specifically at their kidney function. Um, is it functioning at a normal level? What their electrolyte levels are like? Uh, what their vital signs, like their heart rate and blood pressure, like, because those are kind of markers of how sick someone might be. Um, and then if they, is there, if there's any abnormalities in those or if there are concerns about dehydration, these patients would get admitted. And then those parameters would continue to be monitored. And if there's a certain threshold that's met, from a kidney function standpoint, like if the kidneys are really just not working the way that they should, that's when talks about dialysis start to happen. Are like, are there like long term consequences? I don't. Pardon me, I don't know anything about this. But when when you're on dialysis, what are the implications there? I mean, are are you are you more at risk as a young person, or can you take us into that? Yeah. So the interesting thing about uh, hemolytic uremic syndrome is that it actually disproportionately affects young kids. So up to 20% of children who have this particular strain of E. coli can develop this hemolytic uremic syndrome, and then a smaller percent of those will end up needing dialysis. Now, when it comes to kind of the specific recovery of uh, the kidney disease or the kidney injury, we call it, that happens from HUS, um, about two-thirds will completely uh, regain function of their kidneys back to normal. And then about one-third may have some kind of mild to moderate lasting kidneys, kidney disease kind of going into adolescence and adulthood as well. So it's certainly a, a concerning um, concerning phenomenon that we're seeing here. Can, can I just ask, like, for your personal experience, your personal take as a physician, uh, when stuff like this is on your radar, I mean, you're seeing this, I don't know, I mean, is, is this common? I mean, do you see this in the R ER every day or every week or how common is this? It's pretty uncommon. I, I can oh. probably count on my on my hand the number of times that I've seen HUS. It's oh. um, it's very it's it's very specifically related to this bacteria. But this type of E. coli outbreak is not something that we see very commonly. Um, it's and so in general, because of how uncommon this strain of E. coli is in terms of outbreaks, HUS is a pretty rare phenomenon that we okay. see in the ER. So I can I can only imagine how overwhelmed Alberta Children's is in Calgary right now with all of like with seven kids on dialysis. Um, that's much more than you would ever see on a given day or a given week. Yeah, and that, see, you always bring in angles that the rest of us don't even think of. I wouldn't even think to ask you that, but I, I remember asking you this exact same question probably two and a half, three years ago uh, when we were talking about, I mean, right then, you know, right at the height kind of, of of COVID and the pandemic and everything else, and we asked you about overwhelmed ERs and ICUs and healthcare workers. What does something like this do to an ER or, or do to an, they, they wouldn't be an ICU, I don't think, but, but can, can you explain to us the impact on the hospital and the implications for maybe other patients receiving care we will acknowledge you're not working out of alberta children's hospital in calgary but you've got a lot of experience in a similar scenario yeah and i mean so the the kids that are on dialysis would likely be in the icu um the other ones who are kind of admitted to be uh to be monitored would be on the pediatric ward but just in general i mean when we're up to 300 cases when we have worried parents that are coming in the first place they're going to come in is the ER. You and I have talked about this before. It's kind of that first point of contact for people in the acute care system. And so um, certainly I can imagine that my colleagues in Calgary are overwhelmed uh, in the pediatric ER. And then when you have this kind of extra load of patients, whether it's with this E. coli outbreak, whether it's with, you know, 
COVID or the flu, there are lots of things that can cause a big bolus of patients like that. It, it overwhelms the kind of um, baseline of systems that are in place to, to kind of accommodate this number of patients. So I can imagine that they're feeling pretty stressed right now in terms of numbers and, and volumes that, we're, that they're seeing. Yeah. Uh, when I was asking you how common this is, and, and, and I guess in a way it's good to hear that it's uncommon, although the implications for these families and these kids aren't great. I, I was going to ask if you as, as an ER doc, if you're able to like fully enjoy when you're out with your family or, or your girlfriends or whatever, if you can fully enjoy a meal or if stuff like this is kind of always on your mind as, as, a, as a healthcare, as a physician, are you always kind of a little bit wondering about the, the, the safety and cleanliness of kitchens or no? So for food, maybe no, not until now, not until this story, Yeah. but for other things, absolutely. Like when it comes to injuries, like when, you know, when we're driving on the highway or when my kids are on a bicycle or when we're crossing streets, like all of these things that I don't want to think about always play through my mind. I don't love that. I don't love having the knowledge that I have in terms of how broadly applicable it is to the life of my family and I, but uh, there's some things that you just can't turn off. Yeah, it, it comes with the territory. I mean, you, t- you talk to police officers and firefighters, paramedics, they'll say the exact same thing, right? It's oftentimes difficult to come home and be I guess, quote unquote, normal with your kids based on what you encounter in the, in the course of, of any shift. Um, I, sh- I should mention to people that the, the central kitchen here that they're talking about, this is the culprit, uh, is called Fueling Minds. And uh, the, the affected daycares, the 11 of them, called Fueling Brains. Um, there's kind of an, this is not for you, Dr. Mathani. I'll just say, I'll just make the note to put it on the record. Kind of an, an interesting name connected to this. It's a former MLA and former MP, federal politician Kent Hare out of Calgary, who's a VP with the company. He's been there for several years. And, and they're, they're trying to obfuscate this, I think. And they're saying, well, these are set, you know, the, the companies, they're, they're, they, they share some ownership, but they're separate companies. And they're kind of trying to create this big smoke screen, um, which, which I guess, uh, and I don't have a personal beef with Kent Hare, but I just rolled my eyes so hard I got a migraine when he was talking about that. This is, again, a kitchen that's a repeat offender. These 11 daycares have been given the green light to reopen. Um, I would imagine, you know, people always say that, you know, the cleanest restaurant in the city is going to be the one that was shut down a month ago because, number one, they had to prove that they're ready to reopen, and and number two, they know that health inspectors are going to be all over them, but I've never quite seen it that way. For me, once trust is broken with a restaurant, I'm out. Uh, if you were a parent, again, I, I'm asking you to walk kind of two lines here. As a parent and a physician, uh, would you send your kids back to that daycare? I would certainly feel reluctant to. Um, it would be it would be a pretty serious conversation between my husband and I on kind of what the next steps would be because you know, it, it's um, once trust is broken, especially when it comes to your kids, right? Like you. When you send your kids somewhere, you're really putting a lot of trust in the people that are looking after them. Um, and for me, I think it'd be really hard to, to overcome that personally. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, is this stuff contagious? Might be a dumb question, but if, if you contract it, could you get other people in the household sick? Yeah, that's actually a really good question, Ryan. And there's there's two ways of, of transmission or two main ways of transmission. One is by food and one is by person to person. So absolutely. Um, uh, you know, there are some adults that are affected as well in that 300 odd people. So I, I wonder if that's from person to person transmission from mm-hmm. the kids to the adults. Okay. If you're just tuning in, listening on the live streaming Mixler audio app presented by California Closets, we're talking to Dr. Shazma Mathani, an ER doc. And hey, what, what's your official title? You're, you're, uh, you also do work at the Stollery Children's Hospital, right? And I do, yeah. what, what's your thing at the U of A? I said you're a lecturer, but what's your official title? I should get that right. 
It's assistant clinical lecturer. There you go, assistant clinical lecturer. Um, I mean, I'm hearing anecdotes. Uh, so we always want to go to the source, the people who know, like you. But I'm hearing anecdotes uh, that you know, back to school coming with it is is increased. Uh, people are saying like kind of flu season, the sniffles. Other people are saying that COVID cases are starting to tick up again. There are rumblings. People, this is where politicians start to get involved, and people start to get a little bit ornery. Some of them um, talking about potential restrictions again related to COVID feels like a while uh, since we've seen any of those Um, are you seeing an uptick in COVID cases in the ER what does it look like from your position so I've I've been doing um, pediatrics this week I usually do my scholarly shifts a week at a time I can tell you that we are feeling the school rush Um, I worked last week on Thursday uh, kind of that first week of school and the volumes were still kind of reasonable and then something seems to have um, switched over the weekend because we're seeing um, just extremely high volumes of patients coming into the pediatric ER this week. Um, it's it's certainly worrisome with uh, kind of respiratory virus season upon us. Um, I think we're going to see again, similar to last season, uh, last fall, the RSV, COVID and flu uh, triple threat, so to speak, uh, this season. And so um I'm worried about what it's going to look like. Uh, I hope everybody will uh, get vaccinated uh, if they're eligible to, because we, um, again, it's going to be a situation where we're really going to feel the crunch in acute care with all of these viruses in, in all ages, not just kids, but in, um, in adults as well. So when you're talking about vaccinated, are, are you talking about the COVID vaccine? You're talking about the flu shot? What are we talking about here? All of the above. So um, Health Canada just approved the um, kind of updated version of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine and um, the National Advisory Committee for Immunization just released uh, their guidance on that. Um, So hopefully we should be seeing those um, hit pharmacies kind of end of September into early October. Uh, Flu shots we should see around that same time as well. Uh, You can get both of them together on the same day. Um, And so I would highly encourage everybody who's eligible for those shots to get them. They're very safe. They're effective at preventing severe disease. Um, They're effective at then preventing vulnerable people around you from getting sick too. And then of course the, um, the big kind of more uh, public health issue is to make sure that the hospitals um, remain available for everybody who needs them, whether you have the flu or COVID or not. Um, And then there is also an RSV vaccine that was uh, approved by health Canada for older adults. We're still waiting for, NACI to kind of give us guidance on on that and I in my understanding it's going to be available in limited amounts but um, there'll be more information I think coming on that for older adults as well. How much have you been paying attention is it Paxlovid is it this this pill form uh, vaccine have you been paying attention to this I I was reading about it just in in prep to talk to you Uh, Yale Medicine has been writing about it Uh, you can check it out yalemedicine.org it's a COVID-19 pill an oral antiviral medication is, is is that something that's an option for people is that something people should consider is there like a pro and con list what, what can you tell us about it yeah so Paxlovid is a medication that was available for us um kind of last fall as well and I believe the fall before and it's an antiviral medication um that ha- that is useful if you're a high risk person um, so there are criteria that AHS has in terms of who would be eligible for getting Paxlovid if they 
test positive for COVID-19. So it's certainly something that we have available here and um, it depends on your underlying risk factors. Okay, good stuff. Hey, uh, can I, I want to circle back to this, this E. coli story for a second. And our live chat is humming. People love when you're on the show, Doc. Um, I wish I could remember who it was that said it, but someone made a comment that said in worst case scenario for these kids, especially the ones on dialysis, this could ultimately uh, call for a kidney transplant. Then they say a, a lifetime on, on post-transplant meds would be an absolute nightmare. Uh, how, how serious could this get? I mean, are, are we talking, I hate to even ask the question, but I mean, could, the, could, could this prove to be fatal? Could we be talking about organ transplants? So there, there are fatal cases of this. Um, the mortality rate is kind of under 5%. So it's relatively low, especially if uh, these children are seeking treatment early, which it sounds like is the case in Calgary, thankfully. Um, it feels, I mean, it's, we're lucky to live in, in a developed country that has access to healthcare, right? Because this may not fare the same um, in kind of developing countries where access to healthcare and even access to dialysis uh, would be quite a bit more limited. Um, of course, anytime somebody has a uh, kidney injury, there, there is a risk of that kidney function not recovering. And so it's certainly something that is a risk. It would be, it would be a low risk, but it's certainly there. Okay. Uh, before we let you go, and I know you've got obviously a ton on your plate. We, we always appreciate your time. Anything else on your radar, anything else going on, whether it's seasonal or, or, or something that's just, you can't ignore that you think that the general public should know more about? It's what I already talked about. It's it's that, that we are approaching respiratory season. And I can tell you that my colleagues and I are like hunkering down for it. We know it's going to be a rough one again this year. Um, we're already kind of seeing in the peds emerge a big uptick in, in respiratory illnesses and people coming in. I expect I'll see the same thing when I go to, to adult land next week. Um, and we're kind of just getting ready for what is likely to be a pretty... Um, uh, pretty busy fall with respiratory season. And so again, the take home is just if you're eligible for a vaccine, which if you're over the age of six months old, you are, uh, please get vaccinated to protect yourself and everybody else around you. And most importantly, to protect the healthcare system. All right, good stuff. Is that a Queen's Diamond Jubilee medal behind you? It is, yeah. Uh, how, how am I not mentioning that in your intro? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Doc, it's always good to see your face. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks, Ryan. You got it. When we talk about public servants, there is one that does it. And does it incredibly well. Dr. Shazma Mathani, who's always been a, a wonderful friend of this show. We got a ton of people commenting on this E. coli story in the live chat. I'm not surprised at all. Tony says, I guess the red tape reduction process needs to be reviewed, perhaps. You know, others are saying like, you know, I, I appreciate this comment from someone that said, how do you work in a kitchen like that and not say something? Mm -hmm. You know that your food is going out to 11 daycares and there's cockroach traps out that are full. Yeah. I mean, sorry for the – like, these details are disgusting. They're talking about, like, fecal matter. They're saying that there were those sticky traps out, they said, with 20 cockroaches on them. Jeez. 20? And you've not fumigated – you've not called an exterminator. You've not found another source for food. Somebody said, well, I guess the daycares – you know, I'm, I don't mean to do it in a, in a sarcastic voice because the person's making the comment in good faith, but they go, well, I guess the daycares will be finding a new kitchen. They're owned by the same people. Yeah. And, like, there's going to be some – there will be some sort of – they'll find some way to say, wow, they're, 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 they're similar but not identical ownership groups. Give me a break. Fueling brains and fueling minds. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? I mean, well, this is – someone – Someone must have blew the whistle in the kitchen, right? That's how. No, so, no, no. The Cal Calgary ER doctors and ICU doctors realized that they were getting dozens and ah. dozens and dozens of kids. They called Alberta Health Services. Wow. Inspectors had to start 
doing what they do, which is drawing these lines together and realizing that the one common thread here is that all these kids in serious but stable condition in the hospital all go to the same daycares. I mean, this is unbelievable. You know, uh, I mean, this is just like I don't even know. You know, you know, Kimberly says uh, I didn't even know that daycares provided food when my son was in daycare. I packed his food. Yeah, a lot of them do. And and another parent made a good point as well uh, that that said basically, you know, I I you know th- I think it was Michael said you can't assume. I mean, for me, I asked the doctor. You know, well, would you send your kids back to daycare? For a lot of parents, they're going, what the hell do you expect us to do? Yeah. For a lot of parents, it's a single parent home or both of them are working or whatever the situation is. Some of them may have been on wait lists to get there. I mean, the daycare application process, depending on where you're going, can be very competitive mm-hmm. and arduous. A lot of people have been on wait lists forever. It's not as simple as just going to the daycare next door. So it puts families in a really tough spot. You know, I mean, this is just uh, it's a story where I think that that for me, it's also got me thinking, number one, you think about the families. I saw that the premier, Daniel Smith and the health minister, Adriana LaGrange, are taking a lot of heat right now because, uh, you know, people are people are angry and uh, you would be angry if you're a parent here. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they've been saying, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with the families. And then here's what we're doing. And people are going, well, save your thoughts and prayers. We want action on this. Mm-hmm. Or you don't want thoughts and prayers. Politicians in a tough spot because they have to communicate empathy. If you don't communicate empathy, you, you, you quite frankly come across like Jason Kenney did, and people don't appreciate that. But I sit there just as a consumer. You know, you go into restaurants. We've frequented restaurants in past where all of a sudden I can think of a couple just in in our in the city of Edmonton. A couple of them I used to go to all the time. And when the when the when the news breaks that they've been shut down by the health authority. Your stomach churns because you eat there in good faith. Yeah. And kids you, especially. Like, kids can develop, like, lifelong kidney issues. That E. coli is no joke. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Seventh Pilot, by the way, that said, how could you work there and not say something? I totally agree. But Randy says, I sure hope that kitchen has good liability insurance because, uh, you know, it's not going to have its own money to, to, to pay reparations or to make this right. I wouldn't be surprised if they get sued. I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's a class action lawsuit and especially and I'm sure not wishing for this, obviously, but especially if there is a tragic health health outcome. I mean, it's already you know, you've got three, four, five year olds terrified right now. Um, I mean, receiving some of the best care in the country and their parents, I know, are doing everything that they can, but still. Right. A three or four year old wide eyed in the hospital, hearing all the machines going They're on dialysis. This is unfamiliar. You know what I mean? I don't think I have to explain it. But if it gets worse and there is uh, I mean, this is and, and, and you think I'm going to feel sorry. You think anybody's going to feel sorry for the daycare? I mean, what is this? This is cutting corners. It's laziness. It's a lack of attention to detail. Um, and it's disgusting. Um I think we've said enough on it, but we wanted to get the information on it. We wanted to make sure that you know what you need to know in particular. So if something like this, heaven forbid, ever touches down in your neck of the woods, you know how to respond. You know when it's time to go to the hospital. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Mo Amir coming up in just a second, host of This Is Van Color. We're going to talk politics. We'll talk about uh, Trudeau's uh, polling plummeting, and we'll talk, we'll talk about... Pierre Polyev talking on the plane. Plus, Mo, is it his hip-hop debut coming up on Czech News this week? I don't know. We'll find out. These conversations are presented by Real Talk partners like the family-owned team at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. They want to let you know that through the month of 
September, they've got a promo for Real Talkers. If you go to granddog.ca, this is their beef and bison raw pet food. This stuff's amazing. Our lab Monroe crushes this stuff. Using the discount code SEPTEMBER2023, all one word, you can knock $10 off their most popular raw food blend. Uh, the discount can be used as many times as you like through the entire month. So if you're one of those families that has like three freezers in the garage and you want to load up, you can do that. Uh, the beef and bison blend with the promo code September 2023. Plus, they've got the Mine Pet Platter. This is super cool. You go to the Shop Now link and you can find the Mine Pet Platter at granddog.ca. This is what our dogs eat off. They don't actually feed using the bowls. They use these pet platters and they're 25% off through the month. Uh, they're created as a vessel for kibble. Um, and so the, it's kind of cool. Like kibble kind of tends to stray away from our pet's biological instincts. Well, so does the bowl, right? The pet platter was designed with your pet's natural instincts. So they, they're kind of hunting and sniffing and licking for food. It encourages freedom to explore food. There's colors your pet can see. The food spreads out, so it's naturally slowing down your pet's eating pace. And it's great for cats as well because it's free from obstacles hitting their sensitive snout or their whiskers. Plus, they're dishwasher safe. You can find the Mind Pet Platter 25% off through the month of September at granddog.ca. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy are hiring right now. They wanted us to let you know at kubienergy.ca. You can learn more about it. And a lot of really neat stuff going on at Canada's most popular and busiest solar installer. Was that like, was like a scoreboard that went off in the back? Everyone's excited about Kubi Energy. Everybody wants to work at Kubi Energy, including the Foghorn operator. The Kubi team is looking for electricians and apprentices in Lethbridge, Calgary, Edmonton, and Kamloops, BC, plus project coordinators, customer service reps, and solar sales reps. This is your chance to work with a dynamic and innovative company and a company that's revolutionizing the renewable energy industry in Canada. Check out the careers link today at kubienergy.ca. I don't have to convince you, I'm sure, that life is getting more expensive. But for the members of Civic Service Union 52 in Edmonton, they're feeling it particularly hard right now. Why? Because... For the last five years, the wages of more than 80% of CSU 52 members have remained stagnant. That's made it nearly impossible for them to keep up. Food, shelter, day-to-day -day expenses have all increased substantially. We talked yesterday about the cost of milk. It's up by 25%. Rent for a two-bedroom condo is up by more than 5%, and that's if you're lucky. City taxes up at least 5% year over year. So if you've not had a raise, that's a pay cut, right? They're asking for support from their fellow Edmontonians. They're looking for a fair deal. You can get details on this by checking out edmontonforeveryone.ca. And a shout out to our friends at Apex Automation today. This is a, a really neat success story. While they started in Edmonton over the last few years, they've expanded with the primary focus of being closer to their clients' sites. Now, why is that so important? Well, they want to support their clients with quick turnaround service and less spending on travel costs. So, you know, most of their competitors have one location, right? They're based out of Edmonton or Calgary, not Apex. Apex has invested in additional offices across Western Canada, including Lloydminster, Saskatoon, Vancouver, Bonneville, Tampa, Houston. I mean, this company is growing almost faster than they can keep up. And that's why they're hiring professional engineers right now. 
If you've got your PNG or you're soon to graduate, it's never too soon to contact Apex Automation by checking out the contact link at apexautomation.ca. Johnny, can you tee up the video of uh, Mo's rant from earlier this week? This is great. Uh, I mean, I could sit here and introduce Mo Amir to you. I could tell you that he's the host of This Is Van Collar, and he claims to be Vancouver's most bleeped or BC's most bleeped political calmness. Now, I know you're not familiar with hearing censorship or bleeping on Real Talk, but but you got to keep in mind, Mo is on the airwaves. Mo's on TV, right? So they got to keep it classy at all times. We're going to allow Mo to, well, let's say, introduce himself. This is a rant of his from just a couple of days ago that went viral. This summer, the city of Vancouver unveiled its new motto. Welcome to Vancouver. I got mine. F*** you. That's not actually the municipal motto, but it jives with the city's new swagger. Like, remember when British Columbia faced drought conditions and Bowen Ma was on TV asking all of us to take shorter showers? Well, Vancouver, at City Council's behest, ran non-circulating water fountains that waste millions of liters of drinking water into the sewer. Again, in drought conditions. Welcome to Vancouver. We got water fountains. F*** you. Remember how BC is on pace for its deadliest year of the toxic drug crisis? Well, Vancouver decided to close down an overdose prevention site while an unprecedented amount of people are dying from overdose drug poisonings in a neighborhood that has the most overdose drug poisoning deaths outside the downtown east side. Vancouver City Council also voted down extending leases for supportive housing as homeless shelters are overwhelmed, especially since the city keeps clearing encampments without adequate shelter in place. Where will those people go? Who cares? Welcome to Vancouver. We have luxury condos to build. F*** you. Remember how BC has a childcare shortage where parents are actually paying money to be on wait lists? Well, NIMBYs protested the expansion of a childcare center because, and this is true, the noise of children playing hurts the neighborhood's unique charm. Predictably, the city agreed with the Karens and kiboshed the childcare. Welcome to Vancouver. We're old and we hate the sound of children laughing. F*** you. <laughs> Now, sure, apathy and indifference for the needs of other human beings has always been a Vancouver hallmark. But this summer, with all the swagger, we've shifted from apathy to angry opposition actively dismantling even the smallest, most incremental relief for very complex crises. The people who got theirs are telling everyone else, F*** you. And I don't know, maybe the city of Vancouver shouldn't do that? That's Mo Amir, host of This Is Van Cutler on Check, joining us live this morning. Even you're laughing at your own rant. I loved it. I thought you I, were... You know what? I'm just still surprised that Check allowed me to just pop off on the airways. Uh, I'm very grateful that they let me do that. It was an approved script. Uh, but I do want to add, I, I, I have one retraction. I okay. used... The, the term Karens as a pejorative, as a slur. There were a few viewers that uh, emailed me and said, hey, my name is Karen, or I know a great Karen. And, you know, that's just kind of lazy writing. And, and I agree with them. I, I want to retire that word. Uh, I, I should find better uh, descriptors for that type of nimbyism in Vancouver. So that's my only retraction. Uh, and I'm grateful that the check allowed me to, to cuss on air. Yeah, man, I was I, I literally made a quick note. I wrote down Karen's question mark. And I was going to say, Mo, are you allowed to crack on Karen's? I don't know if you're allowed to crack on Karen's, but 
yeah I, i'm not that's what got me in trouble that was the one line in that whole piece that actually got me in uh substantive trouble so i apologize to all the the karens out there my apologies karen is a lovely name let's take it back yeah my first crush was named karen and that crush lasted for like 10 years and so i've always had mixed feelings about about karen as a pejorative uh mm -hmm. we, we we've we've got emails about the exact same thing and they've all been from karens or people who love a karen um mm -hmm. and you know and, and they're just a little bit ticked off about the trend did you uh uh, do you have to kind of uh, watch yourself? Do you have to watch your back now when you're walking through Vancouver as you basically called out about a million and a half people on your show? Do I have to watch my back? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, I don't know what, what it's like for you, Ryan, but I find most of my interactions with strangers who recognize me when it does happen are usually pretty positive. I've had the odd negative uh, experience but nothing terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel like maybe I'd have to watch my back. Uh, I've been very critical of the VPD at times. So uh, maybe I have to uh, be a little careful around those guys, but that's about it. Now yeah. I, I, people are, people are good at, at heart. And, and again, even the, the most uh, boisterous haters online, usually in person are, are pretty quiet. Yeah. Uh, there was one guy that, that tried to bottle me once at a bar, like oh. actually tried to bottle me. That was about, it. Other than that, most people are pretty gracious. Uh, you know what, Ryan? I'm I'm a big guy, right? Like I think that's also part of it. Uh, it, it threatens people, or, or you know, people don't want to, you know, get involved with that. But also, I grew up on the mean streets of North Vancouver. You know, yeah. I know how to handle myself. We're <laughs> we're we're a tough crowd yeah. in, in the richest municipality in the country. Yeah, you, know? you gotta you gotta roll with your friends from Burnaby and Surrey, don't you? If you want to be taken <laughs> seriously, luckily I was with my biggest friend on planet Earth. So he he so, work he works in property management and junk removal, and and uh, his biceps are as big as my thighs. And and he picked up the uh, the uh, attempted assailant. Uh, by the throat, basically, and walked him to the front door of the establishment. Surrey, so Maple Ridge, those are legit tough guys for sure. Oh Absolutely. yeah, yeah. You don't want to mess yeah. around with that. <laughs> hey, it, so it was so in, in all seriousness, when when it comes to what people in Vancouver care about or what people in Vancouver don't care about, uh, our Real Talk Roundtable tomorrow is going to be on housing. And as if mm -hmm. I need to tell you, uh, by the way, do you? We always want to know the, the situation of our guests. Do you own or do you rent? Where you live? Oh, I I own. You I'm own. very privileged. I got I got in the market uh, 12 years ago. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, I'm comfortably housed. I speak from a, a place of privilege, absolutely. Um, uh, but again, I, I don't think you don't have don't to apologize, that, Mo. I'm just asking. People online get weird about that, right? They're like, "Why are you talking about you know the need to reduce rents when you own your home or you're comfortably housed?" And and I get it. I kind of and I, and obviously that's how I criticize politicians in a lot of ways. But at the same time, I think that the situation that we have in Vancouver is absolutely unsustainable. Mm. You know, it's not just home ownership that's out of reach. It is rent. You know, we're we're averaging. 3100 for a studio apartment in the city of Vancouver in terms of rental listings right now it's it's abhorrent people are trapped in 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 the homes that they're currently in they can't move because they have a locked in uh rent um certainly for newcomers like imagine if you're an immigrant and you're told like oh man this is the land of opportunity and suddenly you know 60% of your 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 paycheck from a, a very high paying job is going towards rent it's it's gross and it just doesn't make any sense for for how much longer this can can last and 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 further than that what type of city we're we're building because 
the people that work in the city actually get to live in the city. I mean, it doesn't feel like they're able to for the most part. Well, yeah. And and so your, your rant there that saw a lot of traction, by the way. So congratulations on that. But, Thanks. but the sort of the, the general premise of it, like, you know, kind of like I got mine. Fuck you. Basically. Doesn't it feel good to say, to hear the word fuck Mo? Doesn't it hear instead of a bleep, doesn't it feel good to hear it on a show? Oh, it feels good to say fuck. Yeah, it's, it sure does. <laughs> you know? But are you but are you seeing so if this is the issue truly and 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 Canadians are telling pollsters it is, if this is the number one issue in the country right now. I saw that uh, by 2030, um they're estimating that Canada is going to need to add three and a half million units to its housing inventory to keep up with demand. Does the city of Vancouver, like, do you get any sense, whether it's from the premier, whether it's from the mayor of Vancouver, and we should acknowledge that there's obviously a ton of mayors and a ton of municipalities in the lower mainland. Like, is anybody actually taking it seriously? Like, people that are struggling to find appropriate or affordable housing, and I'm not just talking about, like, like supportive housing. I'm talking about even, I mean, there's a lot of families, I guarantee, in the lower mainland that, that have dual incomes that are probably bringing home 175 to 200 grand a year that can't find housing they can afford as preposterous as that is they don't need shows like yours and mine and the national to be telling them that there's a crisis they already know it they want to know if anything's actually happening are you seeing meaningful tangible action anywhere like is is there a good news story here anywhere to be honest, not really. A lot of it feels very incremental, um, which is strange because we've been calling it a housing crisis for years now, particularly in Vancouver. I mean, I think BC and Vancouver is the epicenter of the national housing crisis. And I do wish that Ottawa was kind of paying attention uh, to us here on the West Coast, um, because those problems did obviously start to spread eastward. Uh, in terms of what's being done, you know, I, I had a conversation with Michelle Sisa about this, and, and I was coming from a very cynical place, and I, I was asking her, you know, is there any incentive for pol any political party to reduce the cost of or reduce the land values or the cost of purchasing a home? And the reality is there isn't. Um, so much of our economy is tied to housing that if you get a certain threshold of mortgages that go underwater, you know, that could be the the, the entire economy. Plus, more than that, on, on the political end, uh, there are a lot of homeowners who are older, who are relying on, you know, their house as their retirement, and they don't want to see home equities drop. I mean, maybe they could tolerate a 10% correction at most, even though I think a lot of people would still complain about that too. But the, the levels that are needed in terms of a correction uh, would just make a large swath of a, of a very reliable electorate so angry that no politician actually wants to reduce the, the value of your home or the value of land in this country. I would actually go one step further and say that there's no federal party, certainly, that is even uh, proposing a reduction of rents nationally. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding when nearly 40% of MPs own rental properties or, or investment properties that they're making money off. So uh, like, I just don't see what is being done that is needed uh, at the scale that is needed. And, and I would argue that what is needed is a massive investment in social housing and public housing, not just for, you know, again, people who need supportive housing, but I, I would argue low income, 
middle-income folks, middle-income families. Uh, again, as you said, I don't have to tell people, but if you're in Vancouver and you have a family and you're looking for a two-bed or three-bed to rent, it is next to impossible. And so that stock needs to be built and built rapidly. And I just don't see the vision. And certainly if it is there from, from the Trudeau government, because they keep saying that they're you know, building this unprecedented amount of houses, uh, we are not seeing that out West. There is nothing here that they can hang their hat on and to say that they're they're actually addressing the crisis. I uh, want to let our uh, audience know that uh, our, our Real Talk Roundtable tomorrow, so on our Friday episode, will feature uh, the federal housing advocate, that's Marie-Jose Houl, uh, Jennifer Keysmat, uh, former chief planner for the City of Toronto, former candidate for mayor of Toronto. She's now with, working with the Clean Economy Fund, and uh, former Calgary councillor uh, who ran for mayor as well down there, Jeremy Farkas. That's going to be tomorrow, and, and he's working on the housing file as well in, in the city of Calgary. So we'll have representation from three different provinces, three different different cities and i think it's it's going to be a good conversation this is not Brian. i think sorry to interrupt you the big question i mean if you could forward this question on in that yeah. in that panel i would ask how much in terms of a percentage do land values and home prices need to drop or correct in order to be affordable that is the key question and anytime i've posed that question to a politician in particular you know they kind of skate they kind of skate around it because they don't want to signal to homeowners and landowners that they're going to try to actively reduce equity in in their property yeah well and and like for a lot of people i mean this is a it's a disaster no, may, no matter which way you slice it, Mo, because people, you know, even even I use the, uh, you know, I, I think of even sort of the vernacular that I use when I talk about this. You have a partner like, let's say, Complete Care Restoration. They're a partner on this show. And so when I'm, when I, when I'm waxing or when I'm talking about their, their business and I'll say, if you've experienced a flood or fire at your biggest investment, because, that, you know, for some people that's not necessarily the case, but for the most part it is. That's kind of how our how our culture is. That's how people have built their wealth. That's what people's nest egg is. That's what people know what HELOCs are. It's how people mm -hmm. borrow against the equity in their home. They borrow against the value on their home, which is, to be honest, not technically, but it's a speculative value. You look at it and you say, what can we, what's the home valued at? What can I probably get? This is what the bank's asking. What can you probably get for this home on the market? How much do you still owe on it? And in the middle ground, you can borrow against that, right? So, so a lot of people have looked at it and they'll look now and say, I think, I think I have for my retirement 600,000 or 800,000. Or if you bought in Vancouver in the eighties, you've got two and a half million equity in your home and you're going to go move to Cranbrook and you're going to love it and you're going to be able to live for the rest of your life. So for those people, uh, then of course they don't want the value dropping on their home. So there's got to be a way to find a balance. I know I'm captain obvious here, but you got to mm -hmm. find a way where you're not screwing the people that own their homes and that, ha that, that did nothing wrong, uh, that, 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 that are in a position where that's their investment and they've got to live their retirement years out or support their kids or whatever the case may be. We could talk about university tuition going up. We could talk about cost of living impacting people generationally. We could talk about pensions being inadequate or clawed back or what have you, right? I mean, there's a lot into this. And at the same time, we got to look at the plight of people. I mean, these folks that are going to build, these construction professionals, these, these tradespeople, they're going to build these three and a half million homes. What, are they going to commute 90 minutes into Vancouver and Toronto to build these houses because they can't afford to live where they work? I mean, yeah, that's just, that's just it. Uh, 
I mean, there is like, there are some alternative models where you can have publicly owned land, but then you, you're you on a, like a 99 year lease. And you, so you would own this, like the property, like a condo on the land, but you wouldn't own the land that's still owned by by the government. Um, you know, whether that can be scaled out in, in a way that's needed, I'm not entirely certain, but it does feel like in in what is a, a very serious crisis, which is housing, just so little has been done. So much has been talked about. I mean, even even what Pierre Polyev is advocating for is basically, you know, liquidating some public assets, uh, opening up zoning. But again, there's no clear route to how this makes things affordable. Maybe it might make rents affordable, but I don't I don't think it it will, certainly at the scale that he's talking about. Um, and then again, central question, if the main cost of property is the value of the land, then how much do we need to reduce that value? And how how much is it going to sting people who have skin in the game already? That is the core question. So uh, this is this is where it kind of gets interesting. I mean, this is is a, a lazy but obvious segue into talking about federal political polling. We've we've got a uh, who is it here on our live chat? Somebody said uh, this is Mavs that says I think the value of our dollar strengthening might help, uh, but Trudeau doesn't have the skills for this. I don't know that uh, to be fair uh, that any politician has the skills to single-handedly strengthen the Canadian dollar considering global markets and inflation all that but I'll take the point and what matters most for the politicians is how voters like Mavs are feeling about all of this mm-hmm. um, I want to reference a new abacus data poll this is David Coletto people can uh, read his work by following him on, on uh, X at at David Coletto uh, and it shows that federal vote intention right now if a federal election were held tomorrow uh, these are the parties that Canadians polled say they would vote for. Conservatives have 41% of the current vote share. The Liberals at 26, uh, down 15 points, and the NDP at 18. And then there's all the rest. Uh, it gets even more interesting from there. We'll talk about that in just a quick second with Gen Z and millennials. Now, you may write them off and say those are the ones that aren't going to actually show up and vote. But if I was the Trudeau Liberals, I'd still be worried about this. Fair to say two years out... Uh, which is an eternity in politics, that mm-hmm. housing in the economy is the number one issue driving that change in polling, do you think? Yeah, I would say so. Or or you can, you know, have a bigger umbrella and just say, yeah, cost of living, because certainly the the, the cost of a lot of things has, has spiked over the last few years. Certainly you see it at the grocery store, you see it at the gas pump. Um, I think housing is the biggest component of that. But I think overall affordability is absolutely uh, the biggest issue. It's hurting everyone, people who are tuned into politics, people who are not tuned into politics. It, it's what everyone is really talking about, about how everything is so expensive. Uh, this is a, a fair comment in, in the live chat. Sylvia says, why is nobody putting any blame on corporate owners and developers? Uh, maybe more, more pressure needs to be applied there. Uh, we're, I mean, we're going to see politicians exploring all angles here because it's something that it's not just a political hot potato. It's not just a political issue. This is something impacting people in their everyday and very real lives. Uh, I, so I, 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 you know, I love dunking on developers, to be very clear. Uh, however, they are not solely to blame. They are in a market and they're going to try to maximize their profit. That is literally what they do municipalities, the province, the feds to a certain degree 
have the ability to regulate, to kind of guide where development will go. Um, oftentimes, you know, they shy away and saying, oh, if we regulate too much, or if we put too many rules on, they're going to go somewhere else. No, they're not. Not not in Vancouver. They are absolutely going to build in Vancouver. They have skin in the game in Vancouver. Uh, I'm sure it's the same case in, in Toronto and other major cities. Um, but again, I, I don't necessarily blame developers because a lot of the public housing that needs to be built will have to be built by a lot of these same developers. And you can even have market projects that have a, a percentage of, you know, below market rentals. They're, they're, these developers in the end are partners. And while it's it's great to dunk on them and, and for sure, they're, they're always trying to maximize their profit and they've profited very handsomely over the last 10 years, maybe even longer. Um, I think we have to be careful by by saying it's all their fault. At the end of the day, the buck stops with all three levels of government. I've said this, and this is a consistent concern of mine, is is government meddling in business and getting too involved. I mean, government needs to be there to protect its people. Government needs to be there to regulate. I mean, we just, you know, before we talk to you, we're talking about Alberta health inspectors coming in and shutting down a kitchen that's responsible for more than 300 kids in daycare contracting E. coli, a rare form of E. coli, seven of them on dialysis right now, Mo. So there is a role for government and agencies, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I would say, be careful what you ask for. Uh, if you're looking for, for governments at municipal, provincial, or federal levels to start acting in punitive fashion to developers or to start sort of coming up with these like, um, you know, stringent, uh, unflexible, sort of almost naive understandings of, of, of how a housing market needs to work or a business's bottom line, then you're going to have developers simply packing up and walking away from communities, walking away from municipalities. Who wouldn't uh, if you have shareholders or if you have employees or if you're not in the business as a nonprofit? I'm not trying to sound cold. I'm not trying to sound like a jerk, but this is just how it works. There's got to be cooperation. There's got to be carrots, not sticks sometimes. And, and, and that's why we elect politicians to come up with these solutions and to work with industry, not outside of it dictating its terms. You nailed it. I, I don't know what to add to that, right? You don't like, have to I, add anything. I, I would absolutely agree, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you about uh, Pierre Polyev's uh, airplane address in just a quick second. We're talking to Mo Amir. Uh, he's, the co- he's the host of This Is Van Color, which is uh, Vancouver's uh, preeminent uh, arts, uh, culture, and politics podcast. You can also watch it on check and check out thisisvancolor.com. This conversation is presented by Real Talk partners like our friends at California Closets. If you're looking at the space you're in right now, maybe you'd looked at upsizing. Maybe maybe two, three years ago, you're going, we're going to get into a way bigger home. And then you realize, number one, that may not be in the plans. But number two, all you really need is a home that's more custom designed and custom built to suit your purposes, to be a better fit for your family, then you need to check in with California Closets. You can request a free consultation today by visiting californiaclosets.ca. And my wife Carrie and I hired them like, I don't know, nine, ten years ago, something like that. We had our family room that desperately needed some help, some organization. The closets in our home, it's a heritage home, more than 100 years old. Well, they were in desperate need of of, of an infusion of, of what California Closets brought to the table. Present day, we continue to see the rewards of that investment. Of course, the value of our home went up, but also our quality of life living there. 
We're grateful to have worked with California Closets, and I can guarantee you'll be happy to work with them, too. You can check out californiaclosets.ca. Don't forget they do garages, too. And you can still get that work done before winter hits, so you've got that workhorse of your home, the garage, looking and working the way that it needs to. If it is a renovation that you're looking at, maybe you're going to develop your basement, maybe you're looking at a kitchen overhaul or a new bathroom, take two seconds to get in touch with Complete Care Restoration. Sure, they've made their name on helping people bounce back, get their lives back from fire and flood from mold and asbestos, but they do construction and renovation projects as well, including office turnarounds, condo conversions. Heck, they're the ones that built our Real Talk studio. We watched them do it. Johnny and I would like pop in and check on the progress, and I was absolutely blown away. I know you were too at their professionalism, their cleanliness. Every single day when they'd leave the job site, They would leave it looking like a cleaning crew had Mm -hmm. come through. Even if they knew we wouldn't be in there, they didn't leave sawdust all over the place. They didn't leave tools all over the floor. They respect your personal property. They respect your space like it's their own. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. And hey, before we get back to Mo Amir, this is a special shout out specifically for our friends in Fort McMurray, Alberta, Sherwood Park, Alberta, and Red Deer, Alberta. The India Film Festival of Alberta is touching down in your communities over the next number of days, and we want to make sure that you have a chance to check it out. This is an opportunity to see works of India's most well-known directors, the established master filmmakers, as well as the hot up-and-comers from all four corners of India. This is the ninth annual India Film Festival of Alberta. It's been in Edmonton, it's been in Calgary, and now they're back on the road. September 16th, they're in Fort McMurray. September 23rd through the 25th, they're in Sherwood Park. And September 30th, they're in central Alberta in the city of Red Deer. It's an amazing opportunity to check out the marvelous works out of Bollywood. You can get your tickets today, learn more about the schedule and the festival dates by checking out indiafilmfestival.ca. Mo Amir hanging out with us this morning from his home in, are you, you're in North Vancouver, yeah, Mo? Uh, I'm actually hiding in Coquitlam today. Oh, you're hiding in Coquitlam <laughs> today. All right. I you see. know, in this economy, I, I have like five jobs. So one of them, I'm in Coquitlam and, and I'm I'm doing this from there. Okay, good stuff. Well, you're, you're joining us from the, the beautiful city of Coquitlam, the BC, uh, the conservative convention held in Quebec City over the weekend. Uh, we, we've talked about it a lot this week. Uh, people can check out yesterday uh, our conversation with Jennifer Laywetz. She was a delegate out of Saskatchewan. She was there. We talked to Charles Adler about it, and we also talked to a political pundit, David Hurley, about it, host of the Hurley Burley. Uh, so I'm not going to get into the convention stuff with you. I feel like we've covered a lot of it, but I do want to talk to you about the flight home. For a lot of people, a couple hundred people that were flying on a WestJet flight uh, back down to Calgary, Pierre Poliev, as if nobody's heard about the story by now, got up on the on the PA and uh, addressed the flight, talked about the turbulence of the Trudeau government, said it should only last for the next couple of years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There were a lot of laughs. There was no angry protest, but there certainly is online. And now QP, the National Union's getting involved. WestJet says it's going to review its policies and procedures. Uh, what do you make of this story? Much ado about nothing? Or do you think that he committed a serious foul here? Uh, definitely much ado about nothing. I, I, I don't understand the outrage online. 
I think if there were people on the flight that complained, like let's say there was, you know, a dozen people on the flight that actually complained about it, then, you know, maybe we should take it a little more seriously. But clearly this was a flight full of delegates to the convention. He was speaking to that crowd. It was not just like a, a general flight. I mean, I think it would be slightly off-putting if he was, you know, on, on his own business and, and suddenly uh, commandeered the airplane. Uh, but But that's not it. And so I think... Um, whether you are a fan of Trudeau, whether you are, you know, the Queen, Jan Arden, uh, I, th I think we all need to relax and just, you know, pick your shots with your outrage when it comes to Pierre or any politician for that matter. Yeah, I will say this to be fair as well. Um, I mean, I, I sort of look at it like I think there's a I understand why Pierre Polyev rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Um, and, and, and certainly um, I think that that his own party recognizes that there were kind of character traits of his that they're, I think they're trying to soften to make him more palatable to the everyday voter. Um, there is an equal number of people in Canada that can't stand Justin Trudeau as if I need to state that I think it's pretty obvious. They've all invested in flags and they let everybody know with their bumper stickers, how they feel about the, how they feel about the prime minister right now. If Justin Trudeau did the exact same thing on an air Canada flight, people would flip Right. Like it oh, would be the exact sure. same thing. I think it's like any political leader that did this on a flight, people would lose their minds. Fair to say. Yeah, fair to say. But again, I think context is very key here. This was a plane full of delegates. I have yet to hear any reports that anyone, any passenger on that plane, you know, complained or, or thought it was inappropriate. And so it was clearly a moment that a lot of people on that plane enjoyed, including uh, Jennifer, who put out that clip as well. And then, you know, that went that was really what went viral. Um, and so I just don't see why we're arguing about this or, or what risk or what harm this little speech to his base did. Um, it was a fun little thing. And, and again, if I was a member of the Conservative Party, if I was a big Pierre Polyev stan, I, I would have loved it as well. And so I just, again, I don't see the big deal. I think people need to relax a little bit. There are way bigger issues in this country uh, that need addressing, including decorum, including how we talk about politicians, including, you know, um, how politicians interact with each other and the tone that they take and, and misinformation and disinformation. Like, I'd rather see conversations about that and outrage about that than, you know, Pierre Polyev doing a, a rally speech, a very impromptu rally speech uh, on a WestJet flight that was full of uh, CPC delegates. Yeah, Zoe in our live chat says, the flight thing is silly. There are so many more important things to get mad about from that convention. Uh, he's got an ego most politicians do that from Zoe. Uh, if people want to know a little bit about what Zoe's talking about, I mean, uh, didn't spell it out, but yesterday we talked to Dr. Kate Greenaway, uh, who's opening up a Foria clinic in Alberta, which is gender affirming uh, health care for trans and non-binary patients. And that was obviously a very contentious resolution that was passed at the conservative convention to limit uh, health resources and health care, uh, specifically gender affirming care for minors, should a conservative government uh, uh, or should a conservative party form government. Pierre Polyev hasn't yet responded uh, regarding whether or not he would adopt that uh, principle. Of course, he's not obligated to as leader, uh, nor is any leader uh, based on any policy resolution at any convention. Uh, Mo, before we let you go, before we let you get back to your work and, and pay your bills, uh, What's going on in BC? I, I've got you here. You're from Coquitlam. You keep an eye on BC politics. There's a lot. There's like parties 
popping back up out of the woodwork and renaming and there's some rumors swirling around and there's a whole bunch of can you like sort of in Alberta everybody kind of knew Premier John Horgan was the Premier BC for a while and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. David Eby and then all of a sudden all this stuff's changing can you give us like the Coles notes BC politics one on 101 on, on what you see happening right now in your home province oh god I'll try okay so Premier David Eby is the premier. He represents the BCNDP. They have a majority in the legislature uh, and there will be an election next year. At least that's what is slated. Um, Unlike Prime Minister Trudeau, despite the overlapping crises in BC, uh, David Eby's popularity is still quite high and the BCNDP are polling quite high despite a lot of frustration from British Columbians uh, when it comes to housing, drug debts, healthcare, you know, a whole array of issues that, that you know, certainly the rest of the country is not immune from. And yet, you know, EB's polling high, the official opposition party, which was named the BC Liberals, although they didn't have any association with the federal Liberals, um, they have a new leader uh, from last year, Kevin Falcon, and they decided that, hey, you know, the, the liberal brand is a little too divisive. It's a little too polarizing. And historically, the BC liberals were a coalition of federal liberals and federal conservatives united against the BC NDP. However, federally, obviously, that gap between federal liberals and, and federal conservatives keeps widening. And so having the name liberal, you know, again, becomes way too polarizing and divisive. So the party decides that they're going to change their name to BC United, you know, maybe a little nod to the UCP that you have there in, in Alberta, this idea of like, we're, we are the coalition of center and center right against the, you know, the, the provincial NDP party. At the same time, there was a dormant party uh, by the name of the BC Conservatives. And again, they don't have uh, formal association with the Conservative Party of Canada, but they are the Conservative Party. They, they had no seats in the legislature, or at least no elected seats in, 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 the, in the BC legislature. But then one of their guys got kicked out of the BC Liberals or the BC United, and he became the new leader of the, the BC Conservatives. So now they have representation in the BC legislature. And then on top of that, another member, another uh, MLA decided that he was going to cross the floor from BC United, formerly BC Liberals, to the BC Conservatives. And then a whole slew of polling actually came out that said this dormant party that has really been somewhat resurrected by Aaron Gunn, of all people, the political commentator Aaron Gunn, um, they're actually polling ahead of BC United and, B- and, and, and again, formerly the BC Liberals. And so there's a lot of uh, confusion as to why we're seeing this surge from the BC Conservatives, despite the fact that they are, with respect, uh, an underdeveloped political party, one that has not been particularly active, uh, certainly not two years ago. And I think part of the reason is, sure, there's the name change from BC Liberal to BC United that maybe have maybe has people confused uh, when they're being polled. Um, I think there's certainly a surge in the conservative brand itself, um, driven by Pierre Polyev, where people who like him are just, you know, in their poll, they're seeing BC Conservatives, so they're they're checking that off. Uh, but ultimately, the official opposition, BC United, again, formerly BC Liberals, they do have a problem in terms of their base and their tent, where there are two sides pulling on very divisive issues, particularly things like uh, decriminalization or mental health and addictions, um, 
I, I would argue certainly other files like the carbon tax, which, you know, the federal conservatives and the BC conservatives want to get rid of, whereas the BC liberals, now BC United, actually were the ones to introduce the carbon tax to BC. So there's a lot of divisive issues that just haven't been resolved internally with the official opposition. And what we're seeing is this very pronounced divide between the, within the party and people actually leaving to go to the BC Conservatives. I hope that makes sense. I know it's a lot if you're not uh, familiar with BC politics, but I think that's that's where we are in a nutshell right now. You did as, as good of a job as anybody possibly could do. How's how's that for an assessment of it? Like I tried, and this is a very, you know, base level read. I, I think we could go in even deeper, but, but I think that about summarizes where we're at. So yeah. again, in contrast to Prime Minister Trudeau, Premier Eby is really sitting pretty. He's not getting a lot of opposition. He's not facing uh, a surge in the same way, despite the fact that he's also wearing a lot of frustration that, that British Columbians have, um, very similar frustrations that Canadians have with mm -hmm. Prime Minister Trudeau, whether it's housing or healthcare or climate change, like a lot of things that, that people want more of, but Eby is still very popular. Yeah, uh, yeah. B BC politics has always put me in a bit of a wind wobble. I mean, even even back in the day, I remember trying to explain to a buddy on a hike. He goes, "Why doesn't BC have a conservative party?" This this is like ten years ago, mm -hmm. and I said they do, and he said who, and I said the Liberals. Yeah, I know. And he's like, "What?" And I was like, well, "Premier Christy Clark is a conservative." He goes, "No, mm -hmm. she's a liberal." I said, "Well, that's the conservative," and he, he we just agreed to leave it at that. Before we go any, uh, before I let you go, I, I have to ask you this: Can can you tee up this musical interlude, um, Mo? This is is this true? This is not yet aired on This Is Van Color. This is the this is the the, the global debut of this. This is a real talk exclusive. I'm okay. giving it to you, Ryan. You know, I jerked you around for the past few months. You tried to get me on the show, and so. <laughs> When I returned, I wanted to have a gift for you. Okay. And I do hope that your viewers uh, appreciate this and enjoy this as much as I did uh, in terms of making it. Okay, so, so this is going to air on your show this week. Now, we, we want to do you a solid, so we're not going to play the whole song. Uh, that might be a little bit rude. Uh, you you got to save something for This Is Van Color, but i got to ask you about this. I don't know if this is your your uh, your, your on-air hip-hop debut or not, but, but check this out. This is coming up on Check. Politician guys are so delectable. Drug me, Justin P. are so hot. Mustache socks that pop. He took his glasses off. Oh, 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 oh. Politician guys are undeniable. Bespoke suits and pensions on lock. Landlords represent. Let's raise your rents up. Polyev, Singh, and Trudeau, promising the world for your vote. And then they ghost. These are the dudes that gaslight the most. Oh yes. my God. Snoop Dogg, I'm so sorry. Oh. I just butchered that, that, was that rap. But. but I mean, just think how good they're going to look on the money, Mo. Uh, not too bad, pal. Not too bad until you cracked. It's funny. So we are, we're obviously doing a parody of Katy Perry's uh, California Girls. And it's funny because uh, Angela and I, uh, Angela Valiant is is the, the the very talented broadcaster there who is singing and performing on the ukulele. Uh, Angela Valiant and I, we basically wrote this song over text message. And, and the way that we do it is we look, we've done a couple, we've done this a couple times. And so we'll look at the lyrics and then match the the syllable, the syllabic pattern, I guess, and the rhyme scheme. 
But then when we went through California Girls, we were like, oh, this is a really shitty song in terms of how it's written. Like there's no rhythmic pattern in terms of syllables. Oftentimes the 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 lyrics don't match. Even Snoop's bars are really like mismatched. And so uh we had fun with it. It was, it was, it was great. And it, it's just poking fun at our at our hot guy leaders. You know, who's gonna who who's gonna win this pageantry? In a couple of years, Ryan, yeah. who's the hottest of them all? Well, the uh, you mean physically or politically? Uh, I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess they both factor into each other, right? Personality. Yeah, I would say I'm that so, much hotter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jugmeet Singh's a hot tamale, to be honest with you. Um, okay, I know everybody rips him for his Rolex, but I kind of like it. The kind of the uh, the champagne socialist, the Rolex socialist. But I, I, I like Jugmeet; he's got the moves. Um, and, uh, he's, he's kind of a friendly, affable kind of a guy. I think that, I think that he, he comes across for the most part as sincere, but I, I just don't think, and I've said this on the show many, many times that the, the federal NDP, uh, I just don't think it's a, a serious party to be honest. And I, I don't think that the policies, I don't think you get Canadians putting an NDP government in ever. Um, may, maybe I'll be wrong one day. And then I think, you know, hottest you know, polling and otherwise is, is Polyev right now, but I, I, I don't count out Justin Trudeau. It's, it's, it's still two more years, man. There's, you know, he's been down in the polls before he's languished in scandal. I mean, you look at some, you know, the, 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 the Aga Khan stuff and the helicopter vacations and the India trip and the, the we charity thing. And the, like, the, there's been a lot. And, uh, I just, uh, yeah, we'll see, man. You know, Mo, two years ago, I think it's, I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, certainly for conservatives, I can understand the, appeal of a cool hot guy leading their party i mean they had harper then they had sheer and then they had o'toole and with respect you know those fine parliamentarians i guess but uh not particularly um rabble rousers or or not you know engaging the same type of passion that i think pierre polyev is so i think right now in this moment of time the conservatives are really enjoying having a cool guy where the the federal liberals had one in trudeau yeah i think certainly even jagmeet singh was you know the cool tiktok guy for a little while it didn't really result in electoral success but i mean he had his moment in the sun as well and i think the conservatives are enjoying that and it's interesting because Canadian federal politics has really become about aesthetics and certainly with the makeover that Pierre Polyev recently had and he's popping his biceps a little bit too uh, they're aware of that and they're trying to cater to that whereas you look down south to the United States where I feel like we get a lot of our cues uh, there's octogenarians running and and certainly <laughs> aesthetics doesn't play that big of a role as, as I think it plays here federally so it, I I don't think it can be discounted because I think it definitely helps to add to each person's respective cult of personality. <laughs> Harsh words from Tony here who says election is two years away and Polyev is like the high school athlete that peaked in high school and ended up being the janitor at the high school. That from Tony. Uh, hey, custodial work is noble work. Uh, I'll say Absolutely. that. Uh, well, I, one, one last thing. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the election is two years away. Um that's a lifetime to turn things around. The other thing that I think Trudeau has going for him, as you also alluded to, is a weakened NDP, a weakened federal NDP party. And so there may be a lot of people who don't really like Trudeau and they're on the left or progressive side who might just hold their nose and, and not want a conservative government. And so these are not 
that's not saying that the liberals are going to win by any means, but I'm saying there are a lot of factors and a lot could happen in, in two years. So we'll see. Uh, Lauren says you should change your hip hop name. Mo money. Mo money. I like Mo that. money, Mo problems. Mo you know? money, Mo problems. <laughs> my man. Hey, we love you, Mo. It's good to see your face again. Thanks for doing the show. Ryan, an honor and a pleasure. Thanks so much, brother. You got it. You can Enjoy follow Mo on Twitter, on X, at VanColor, and you can check out thisisvancolor.com. We'll put the links in the show notes so you can find it. Um, somebody here said, uh, just say it, Ryan. The, the federal NDP needs a new leader. Um, Sylvia wonders, can Jeff keep up? <laughs> That's her reference, Jeff Poliev, when Pierre was going to Henry Wisewood High School uh, with my brother. Um, Jeff Poliev is how everybody knew him. Can Jeff keep up the nice guy routine for two years? Maybe. I don't know. And then we've got someone new in the chat. Is it is it Whiskey La? I don't know what it is. It says, I knew it. Jespo is a NDP. Um, I literally just said they're not a serious party and they'll never form government. So I don't know. I don't know. In all caps, I knew it, he says, uh, after I've uh, not exactly painted them with the prettiest brush. But what can you do? What was it that, that Mo said that jumped out of you? I saw your eyebrows raised so high. No, hit, no. Your eyebrows just... hit your hairline. <laughs> no, what was it? The ukulele. But yeah, that's oh. the Hawaiian. There's, you can say it both ways, right? You know, in English you say ukulele, but yeah. he said ukulele. And I, I think like, ukulele is probably the right way to say it. Well, no, I went online. It's both are both are okay. Okay. But like so, Hawaiian it's ukulele. In English it's ukulele, but you know both both are okay. Do you pronounce a word differently than most people? Oh yeah, I'm a dirty the, American. Okay, say it again. I'm a dirty American. Oh, so. no, don't say that. So, <laughs> but, but, so what's the word that you pronounce differently than most people? Is there one that comes to mind? Oh, no. I, I just, I always, like, even when I'm writing, I always forget the U. It's, like, in English ah, especially, English and French spelling, as yeah. well. It's like, favor, you know, is F-A-V-O-R. And people are like, you spelled this wrong. Yeah. I always have to add the U to favor and, and all those other words. But, yeah, sometimes I'll pronounce something and somebody will be like, hey, you're from... You're from, yeah. yeah, that's not how we... <laughs> the Miami boy, the slick Miami boy who's now producing podcasts in Edmonton, Alberta. What was it you said? You said something yesterday. And I, have... I was like, he says that distinctly every time. I'm going to wait. Is it kilometer? It no, it was something you say all the time. And I'm like, he always pronounces that very Canadian. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, there's, but... Well, there's two words I know that number one, um, the, the the skeletal system or the skeletal system. Yeah. When you're talking about, I think that people people don't see eye to eye on that. But you yeah. said the skeletal system because it's a skeleton. Mm-hmm. Um, but skeletal, I hear people say the other one, and they hammered this home. I'm, I'm a graduate, a proud graduate of Saint Polytechnic, of their broadcast news program down in Calgary. And, shout and, out and, and shout out Saint. Like, when am I getting my distinguished alumni award? And they, uh, not now that I've asked for it, I'll never get it. Um, they, but they hammered. You would lose points in a in a hypothetical. You know, you'd submit these these broadcasts, these mm-hmm. newscasts to be graded. And if you said kilometers, you would lose points. Kilometers. You'd, you'd be doc- it's kilometers yeah. because it's kilograms. Mm-hmm. You know, they said it's not kilogram. You don't weigh seventy kilograms. Mm-hmm. You weigh seventy kilograms. So it's kilometers. It's another thing I do all the time. I'm like, oh man, we walk like a mile down the street and. It- Someone's like, mile? Yeah. A mile? Yeah. You mean a kilometer? A kilometer. <laughs> That's right. We're going to talk about gorillas and screen time in just a second. But first, want to let you know that this podcast is receiving support from our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And right now, the most important thing you need to know, the thing that you need number one on your radar screen is that September's blizzard of the month is the pumpkin pie blizzard. 
Yeah, that's right. Sweater season may now officially commence. Thanks to the Dairy Queens and Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. This is one of my favorite blizzards. And not just because, but mostly because it's got the real pumpkin pie pieces. This isn't the cheap powdered stuff that you might get somewhere else. Real pieces of pumpkin pie mixed in with DQ's world-famous soft serve topped up with whipped topping and nutmeg. That's the most quintessential fall spice, obviously. The only thing that can be better than a pumpkin pie blizzard is if you pair it up with one of their signature stack burgers. If you're in a Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park, you let them know real talk sent ya. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to let you know that you've only got two weeks to take part in the Alberta Beef Roundup. This is a really, really neat opportunity for you to stock up your family's freezer, but it's for a limited time. This is a tradition that Friesen Brothers has maintained since 1955, and they've got two options this year, a custom-cut whole hip weighing about 70 pounds, and a 50-pound freezer pack as well, featuring the finest Alberta beef. The best part about it, the skilled butchers at Friesen Brothers handle all the cutting, all the wrapping in-store, based on your order. You tell them how you like it. The event runs for just two weeks. It's going right now. Check it out online at Friesen.com. If a backyard makeover or maybe a front yard overhaul is in the cards for you, maybe not right now, end of season, but into the spring, you're going to want to get in touch with Eden Landscaping. Now, you go, well, yeah, that's, that's a February problem, Jess. Well, that's, that's, that's a March job on the to-do list. No, 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 no. You want to check in with them so they can get the planning process going, so they can start getting the design underway, so you can tweak it and fine-tune it and make sure that it's a perfect fit for you. Plus, if you have a real custom job in mind, some of the construction materials, the specific special touches you're going to need could take some time to procure with supply chain challenges, so it's never too soon to get in touch with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. I also wanted to let a couple of you know that we have your emails. We've got them from from Ron on the housing crisis and from Kyle on what he heard from the gender-affirming doctor yesterday. That's Dr. Kate Greenaway that joined us. We've also got one here from Leckie as well. These are ones that are already approved for Trash Talk tomorrow, but we've still got room for more. That's presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. If you're a decision maker for a business, if you're working for a municipality, and garbage and recycling is on your desk, you're the one making the call, and you're always watching your bottom line, obviously. I don't have to tell you why you want to keep it local. You know you're going to get better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. Local Environmental Services is your full-service environmental solutions partner, and you can find them online. Get a quote for free at localenvironmental.ca. Should we just tee up this news story should we just roll it from cp24 so people know why they're limiting gorillas screen times in toronto <laughs> yeah i think they'll explain maybe, it maybe we'll, let the, we'll let the pro storytellers do the work here and then, and then we'll chime in from the peanut gallery this from cp24 toronto zoo has a gorilla that is now on limited screen time thanks to a sign that went viral on social media this summer uh, the poster reminds visitors not to show photos and videos on their phones to the primates. It comes after Nasser, the teenage gorilla, started spending less time with his family at a key development stage in his life and more time at the window watching the screens. Supervisor Holly Ross says that while people just started noticing the sign, the issue started quite a while ago. 
This is sort of an older issue for us, and um, it was something that was really prevalent about six years ago with Nasser while he was trying to be transitioned into his new bachelor group with his brother Siddiqui. And he just was really interested in, in people's phones and seeing what was on the other side. So um, we did put up a sign, and it worked really well, which is wonderful. Well, as part of the zoo's enrichment program, gorillas are allowed to watch TV a few times a week for about an hour each time. But just like most parents, the staff are in control of what content they are exposed to. As for what they like best, Ross says they prefer animal documentaries, especially ones about gorillas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't say. You don't say. The nature of things. David Suzuki, you know, all those those uh, Netflix documentaries about uh, That's an amazing wildlife story. with the guy who's like, we're in the boreal forest today looking at... Uh... But that isn't that crazy? Like, So there you have like the perfect research project because they're already in captivity they're uh you know the teenage gorilla is approaching this age where he's supposed to be recognizing the females that are there uh, they're obviously trying to to make more gorillas and re release some of them to the wild and, and keep some of them there so th he's at like this pivotal moment where he's maturing and he's supposed to be recognizing females and what he's recognizing is hey what's on your phone and now They've had to stop people from putting their phones against. But he got, he, I was reading more into the story, he got kind of depressed without that. So now they've got to give him screen time a day, but now oh, they're man. limiting it to an hour and they're forcing him, well, not forcing him, but hoping that he'll enjoy nature watching episodes on different <laughs> different <laughs> streaming apps and stuff like that. So it's keeping trying to keep his head in the game, right? But it's just... If there was ever a test that just showed you, like, hey, here, here's a primate. We're 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 linked to them somewhere in our DNA. Oh yeah, we know that of course. And and right away, you know, a simpler being, but very close to us. You just know that it affects them not only mentally, physically. You know, their family context is all messed up. So. Like it's just. I thought the funniest thing, the the, fun, the funniest fact that you brought to the table was that he had stopped mating. <laughs> he just like, didn't care. It's, that is the human equipment. That's it's like he'd rather I, watch TikTok. I'm not trying to, yeah, pick a fight with people <laughs> that love TikTok or gamers or anybody else. I mean, heck, I spent a lot of time on screens as well. But the but, but the My whole he, life is screens. The, the he, yeah, our whole life is screens. Yeah, it's all screens. The, the whole he stopped mating thing. I was like, oh boy, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> We're also getting some people uh, chiming in on words. Uh, Shirley says that I always pronounce. Well, now I'm going to do it because I don't know how to read your comment, Shirley. She says he always pronounces electricity, electricity. Yeah, I saw what do you that. say? Uh, electricity. I guess electricity. I say electricity. But it's electricity. like it does, it's not UHL. It's not electricity. It's electricity. No. Anyway, okay, got it. Fair point, Shirley. I like fair point. Tracy's comment here. Yeah, typical teenager. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. Sylvia says that the medical pronunciation is. Skeletal. So that is the medical pronunciation go. of that. How do you say coupon? Coupon or uh, coupon? Cu I say coupon. What I'd do you say, say? I say coupon. Do you say Tuesday or Tuesday? Tuesday. Okay. I want to thank the live chat for, for chiming in here on the on the words they pronounce differently. You know, this was also uh, something you, you can always tell somebody. You can always tell how uptight uh, a news director is by how their reporters and journalists say the word news. Really? Yeah. If somebody says, this is John Smith reporting for News 9 New York, then you know that the news director is chill. But you know that someone's like working for the CBC when they say, uh, you know, I'm not, I was just about said my friend's real names. I'm not trying to make fun of them. I'm not. 
but like John Smith reporting for CTV News. News. Oh, dear, are you going to be watching the news tonight? <laughs> Always got a kick out of that. Friends, we want to thank you for doing what you do, which is show up uh, right here every single day, whether it's on the podcast, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on the Mixler live streaming audio app presented by California Closets. Thanks for liking and sharing, supporting our content. Thanks for being a patron. You can learn more about that at ryanjesperson.com. Thanks for your emails to our contact link. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is how you do it directly. Tomorrow, the whole show from top to tail, we're talking housing. How do you fix the crisis across the country? We hope you'll join us. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.